Welcome, everybody. You are on the Empty Brass Podcast, and I'm your host, CJ Boxroot. I want to quickly remind you that this podcast is sponsored, and it's sponsored by Mac Defense. Mac Defense specializes in building duty-grade handguns for the armed professional and responsible armed civilian. They offer a top-tier product at a price point accessible to the working man. Their no-compromise approach, mixed with their expert craftsmanship, lead to a fine-tuned product with a focus on functionality. In an industry inundated with Gucci guns that fall on their face, they strive to build guns that run as good as they look in all conditions. From complete builds to modifying customer-supplied guns and components, they've got you covered. They can do full builds, quick-ship Mac 19 pistols, framework, slide cut, and complete slide, optic cuts, and coating. For more, visit MacDefenseIndustries.com. Are you single-handedly saving match directors 50% on pasters? Do you have an untreated case of the alpha mics? Atlas Gunworks can return you to the perfect zero. Check it out at atlasgunworks.com forward slash perfect zero. Before we get started, guys, I just want to uh, reach out a little bit and, uh, and just express, express my gratitude uh, for getting to do this podcast. The last year I got to hang out with Jerry Mitchellick uh, for a week and he had a big influence on me, not just with shooting, but uh, with the way he carried himself, uh, with what he thought was important, what he thought was a priority, uh, his sincere and, and very genuine attitude towards everybody that he comes into contact with. Uh, and it, it changed none. In fact, it probably uh, got even more inspirational this time around. I got to sit with Jerry in a, a beautiful Cody, Wyoming uh, deck outside. Uh, we got to talk about everything from quarantines and uh, COVID-19 to shooting and three-gun and uh, a little bit of his revolver. And uh, I genuinely hope that you guys appreciate this episode as much as I did, because uh, this is something that I'll probably never forget. Uh, and it was truly an honor to do it. What's going on, everybody? I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Empty Brass. Uh, once again, I'm humbled uh, to welcome the legend, Jerry Mitchellick. Jerry, thanks for being with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Fun to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be good. Beautiful up here in Cody. Uh, you're shooting the, the three-gun matchup here. How'd it go today? Uh, I had Today was my, my worst of the three days. Uh, I finished fairly good. Uh, the altitude up here... Not friendly on a guy from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some of those stages looked pretty steep in the mountains. They were. You know, I'm not calibrated for this altitude. You know, Louisiana is like six foot over sea level. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, I think we're a little higher here. <laughs> it's a little bit. I noticed that. A little, a little drier, too. So so, uh, so this year has been kind of crazy for everybody. Uh, what's it been like for you? How's things been different? How have they been better? Well, this is only my third competition of the year, and usually I've had six or seven of them in the bag at least by this time so it's half speed and it's kind of kind of slow and dull yeah i like to get on the road and we haven't been traveling much it's uh, been staying around the house doing doing uh, house stuff so i'm ready to get on the road and burn some ammo yeah <laughs> I, I am too it's uh it was pretty slow did you have a lot of stuff canceled earlier in the spring and the summer though? it was yeah one after the other yeah just matches so, and classes huh? yeah everything it's just slow slow okay so you said this is your third match what was yep. the other two well, we had the uh, we had one on, on on our property, and it, there, there was another three gun. I forgot what it is now. Once I shoot a match, it's history. I don't even remember where I was. So, <laughs> I was doing like 21 matches a year. So, once I shoot them, I, they're just history. I don't even keep track of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, coming from the revolver world, when did you start to see the changeover from cylinder guns to semi-automatic, and when did you decide you wanted to sort of pay you know give more of your time towards something else besides revolvers 
Well, revolvers, of course, that that what that's what has brought me to the professional level that I am today. Of course, with Smith and Wesson. So, I shot revolver for I had won 21 consecutive uh, uh, international revolver championships, and then three gun was kicking in really hard. Yeah, a lot of prize money. Of course, you, when you shoot three gun, you can get more sponsors. Mm-hmm. So the optic sponsors and the shotgun sponsor came on, and it just uh, the money was in three gun. And I had shot revolver, and I think I've got five world records in revolver shooting. So I wanted to move on and do a little something different and uh, give my hands a little bit of rest. Uh, you know, you're only good for so many cycles, and I've shot millions of rounds. And I figured if I was going to keep hammering uh, handguns, uh, I might uh, damage my, my wrist, you know, carpal tunnel or syndrome and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of tapered off on the handgun shooting. And went into three gun. That way, uh, it just it, it kept me in a sport longer, really. So when you were shooting revolver, what was a, a common power factor for major power factor? Well, it was, uh, I think back then, a few years back, you know, IPSC was a 170 okay. or a 175. Okay. And USPSA was a 160 or 165. That's changed, I think, through the years. But it's it's pretty much you know 45 ball. Okay. And it doesn't sound like much till you shoot 40, 50,000 of them a year. Yeah, forty-five in a revolver. You get you get the full recoil. So I've shot a million rounds of forty-fives, and uh, and I've got the lead level in my blood to, to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was good to get a break off the off off the handguns. Okay. And get back to long guns. So when you were shooting a lot of revolver and then moving into three gun, mm-hmm. uh, what was it like? Uh, both your gunsmithing skills and your shooting skills are they parallel? Do they kind of go together? Yeah, you know, I I don't have a an entourage of people to work with me so i have to be a johnny of all a drag of all trades you know johnny on the spot so something's not running i got to get back to the hotel room or back to the trailer or something and and get it going so i'm a hands-on guy i'm 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 actually a uh, i'm actually a a basic machinist by trade and a a multi-craft mechanic certified welder and all that stuff so i I was a maintenance mechanic uh for uh, 13 14 years so to work on something it's kind of second nature Sure. So you have to diagnose it on the line, know how to fix it, and get it going. Do you think that gives you a competitive advantage, being able to get your equipment back up on your own faster? I think it does. I, I know the gun's in and out. Yeah. So when something's not ticking right, I can I can feel it, and I kind of know where, where to go with it. So uh, my equipment is pretty basic, so I keep it well-tuned, and I, I, and I just know what it is. I can feel it when it's shooting, if it's, if it's running right, so... Was the mechanic of the cylinder kind of second nature to some of the stuff you saw in the machinist world? Uh, come back with that. Uh, the the mechanics of the cylinder turning because I know they're kind oh, of yeah. like light springs, heavy springs. Yeah, on a, on a revolver, uh, a revolver can be very easy, but a lot of guys will trick them out to to where they actually don't work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the new guns too, right? <laughs> yeah, so you can make it so good that you can't fire it, you know. So <laughs> there's a trade-off on everything. Uh, you can make the actually the triggers too light on them, and, and you and you lose some speed. So it's always a blend of reality versus concept and sure and, and final application, you know. So so going back to those days, I'm curious if there were some people that inspired you that pushed you to be better that motivated you i mean it could be negative or positive yeah there when i i when i was coming up in the game when we first started my 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 friend back home 
We used to shoot a lot. I mean, we'd go out on the weekend with a cart of 22 bullets and a rifle and just, you know, just have fun. Yeah. Just all weekend, you know, throw stuff in the air, shoot or whatever. And I started reading about an old boy by the name of Ed McGivern, who was a revolver speed shooter. His world record was uh, five shots in, I think, 49 one-hundredths of a second. Wow. And he had, a, <laughs> he, he had written a book called Fast and Fancy Revolver Shooting. And I got a copy of it, and we were... So my buddy and I, Elliot, we uh, bought some revolvers and started shooting and uh, reloaded and just tried to do everything Ed did, and uh, just a lot of fun. Bill Jordan was another one. He was a, he was an old border patrolman. His book was No Second Place Winner. And later on in life, after I married into the Clark family, he was a good friend of Jim Clark Sr., so I had a chance to meet him. He was pretty legendary for his shooting a revolver. His, his specialty was hip shooting. Okay. So Like Bob Munden style? Yeah, but he shot a double-action revolver out of a, a regular police duty rig, okay. and he would hip-shoot aspers off the table. Okay, so kind of like a com- combination of you and Bob then, huh? It was. So he was fast-draw, uh, extremely accurate hip-shooter, you know, point-shooter. and uh, But his specialty was speed out of a uh, police host. I think his record was uh, either 20, 27 or 21 hundredths of a second in reacting fire shot. Wow. That's incredible. It was, you know, and, and it was kind of a neat thing to, to watch him do that kind of stuff because he was big and tall, very fast hands. He was a semi-pro boxer, too. Okay. So he was very fast with his hands. Did you ever get a chance to shoot with him or just got I, to meet him? I did later on. Uh, he was he was up in his age then in the 70s, but he came out and watched me one time when I was with Jim Sr., and uh, it was kind of interesting to be around him. Yeah. He was kind of legendary. Well, speaking of legends, uh, what about Jim Sr., his bullseye shooting and his, his custom guns? Did that have some influence on you? Oh, yeah, Jim. I had known a Jim long before I met the Clark uh, family. I had, back then when I first started shooting in the early 70s, I had got a catalog from every custom gunsmith in the world and uh, and knew their product line. And then I had a chance to meet Jim. And what, what separated Jim from most everybody else at that period of time, he was his own gunsmith, mm-hmm. and he also competed. Uh, and back then, he was the only civilian to have won Camp Perry uh, Bullseye Championship in 1958. Um, it was it was always dominated by the Army, Navy, Air Force teams because they had professional shooters and uh, and they just had uh, unlimited resources to compete. And Jim came along as a just a gunsmith and self-funded uh, and had a chance to shoot it and win it. So he had 71 bullseye records during his career. Wow, that's incredible. He was an incredible trigger guy. He was a sniper in the Second War, and uh, he can he could actually squeeze the trigger. You know, you could set him on fire, he's going to squeeze the trigger. <laughs> so he was, <laughs> and that's what makes a good bullseye guy. You know, so uh, he was he was uh, he was the man to watch. What uh what did you learn from bullseye shooting that you applied to revolver or three gun, if anything? Well, it's it's pretty interesting that it's shooting is all the same, but it's all different. Uh, bullseye shooting is trigger control is more important than side alignment. You can hold a gun perfectly still with absolutely no, no motion, but if you can't trigger, you're not going to hit a thing. Mm. So trigger control relates to a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, what we do. You just do it faster. So the, the style in which they stood was a lot different, right? They kind of stood towards Right, the- yeah. What's the, th- the thing about bullseye shooting, everything that leads up to the shot is very important. The gun going off is secondary. Okay. It really is. And, and in the action game, uh, the gun going off is primary. Okay. Because you want to recover from the recoil, get it back on target. So it's really hard. You hardly ever see a pro in both of those disciplines because they're so different. 
Okay, yeah, they just can't really have a crossover and success. Not and in not, not to be, be on the top. Okay. Because the trigger style is so different. The triggering of the gun is so different. Do you know what caliber they were shooting bullseye back then? Well, they had to shoot 45, and most everybody shot a 38 special for, for one leg of the match. Okay. And then they shot a 22 rimfire, uh, part of the 2700 score was, was rimfire. And it was all metallic sights? Too. It was. Okay. Yeah, back then they didn't have a red dot or a scope. Yeah. So you just, you just had metallic sights. And they and what was the distance about that they would stand? Well, you shot up to 50 yards. Okay. That's quite a bit. It is. <laughs> so the guns had to shoot uh, at least two and a half inches uh, accuracy at 50 yards to be competitive, and the ammunition had to be that good. Uh, so the X-ring on that uh, target at 50 was, I think, three and a half inches. Wow. That's not much space. So the the front sight on that on the, on a standard, they say 45, at that distance would cover about 11, 10 inches of the target. Wow. <laughs> and that's so it was a uh, it was it was an accuracy game. You had to trigger. You had to trigger. It was all trigger work. You had to uh, apply yourself, and really trigger, trigger, trigger. Was there any time constraints, or could they? Be there was. There was. There was rapid fire legs, and everything was timed. Okay. Pretty generous time. And then they had some rapid fire strings, uh, so it was uh, it was an all around game. Okay. Very hard. Yeah, it's uh, it very sounds ho- incredible. Very hard, very hard. And it was the gun a big part of that too. Did they need a, a gun to perform at a certain level? Oh yeah, you wanted of course the most accurate gun, and that's one thing the uh, the U S military teams had. When an ammunition company would make ammo, say like Remington or Federal, they would get a lot of whatever manufacturer it was and they were tested for accuracy and if it was a good lot they would buy that whole lot number <laughs> so say say the air force found a good lot they would buy the whole run so the so the army couldn't get it or the marine corps so it was a lot of it was a lot of uh uh strategies there to always have the best equipment the best ammunition that's really interesting <laughs> it is you know, there was very few but people don't realize companies used to sell ammunition by how accurate it was hmm. There was an old, uh, an older guy by by the name of Gil Hebert. He was kind of an innovator in, in the bullseye game back then, and uh, he would have ammunition from from different manufacturers. And you could go in his catalog and and call him and say, "Hey, Gil, I'm looking for some Federal ammunition, 45 ball or 45 uh, watt cutter. What, what do you have?" He'll say, "Well, I've got lot number X Y Z. It'll shoot two inches at 50, and and you you know you order your ammunition that way." Uh, hardly anybody thinks that way anymore. Yeah, now it's just, uh, you know, basically the grainage and the powder, and yeah. that's it. So back then it was so so important. Same thing with twenty two. That's why when you buy the top-of-the-line twenty two ammunition, like Ely 10X, it costs 11 12 $15 or 50 Yeah. Because it's continually tested, and only the best of it is going to be Ely 10X. Wow. <laughs> so you can buy the same bullet. It'll be a lesser grade, and you pay less for it because it's not as quality as the 10x round. Okay. So there's that. You know, when you get an ammunition, there's ammunition, and then there's ammunition. Yeah. There's so the, <laughs> stuff. the accuracy part. Yep. Uh, during your career, was there a distinctive match or or matches where you kind of had a low point, but looking back on it, uh, that low point drove you to to have some some of the better successes that you've had, or or just something where it didn't go your way, and then it turned out, you know, propelling you to to some more success. I think every match, even though you might have won a world championship in your mind, you know, you 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 were lagging, yeah. and you wanted to do better. So you, uh, I've never, that's, I've never taken a win and sat on it. Okay. 
it kind of it's it's almost like a letdown when you win a championship. <laughs> you know, it's, I I think it's probably the same thing. A guy who uh, uh, a hunter that's you know seeking the ultimate uh, game animal, when you harvest it and you look at it, you go, "It got, got to be a better one," you know, and you yeah, and you hunt his own again, you know. Yeah. It's like that when you when you shoot a competition, you might have done your best, but in, you know, in your heart, you had a few spots that. You could have done better. This could have been better. This could have been better. So even though you have a win, it's just uh, if you're truly interested and driven, you you don't even think about it. Yeah. You always you know I always want to do better. I want to do better. Do you think there's some truth then to you're always shooting against yourself? It is. Okay. It's always yourself because you know it. You know your limits. Yeah. And you know when you're not performing up to the to up up to grade and uh, yeah, it just you always shoot against yourself definitely. Uh, what what about a world championship shoot is different because you've you've won them in shotgun you've won them in rifle you've mm-hmm. won them in revolver uh, is there some things about world shoot that make them different than other matches or do you kind of just treat it like a regular match well if you treat it different you're going to perform different yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i think the biggest the biggest boat anchor any competitor can have is the expectation of a performance you know if you expect to go there and do well uh, well you don't you already have a a goal uh, that you accomplished in your brain and you haven't even met fired a shot yet. So you just go there and you shoot every target with the same value. And uh, when you really concentrate on a match, there's really nothing else that goes to your brain the whole day. I mean, you're on the, you're on the range and 10 hours are passing and you don't even know it. Yeah. You know, so it's, it can, it's very taxing on your uh, m- mentality to stay focused for all day. Like in uh, Ipsic, we shoot seven stages a day for like uh, six days. Wow. You know, so at the last few days, being on the range from daylight to dark, you get you get pretty flat. Yeah. So you really have to you really have to pull up everything, you know, and and apply it. That's why the time seems like it's passing so fast, hmm. because you're in, you're in, you're in the moment the whole day long. Yeah. So. So I've I've got a chance to shoot with you and learn from you a little bit, and one of the things that you say is uh, you can't try and make it happen. You got to no. let it happen. Yep. I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on what making it happen is. Well, that's that expectation. If you truly watch, and you watch everything you're doing, it's going to go to speed. What uh, what happens with uh, adrenaline in a match is your time concept changes, and then you go faster than than what you can shoot. Okay. But if you're actually seeing well, you'll shoot well. But if you see you see a blur, you're going to shoot a blur. If you can't read your shots, you're shooting over your head. So you just you just uh, it's really hard to be. So I could say this uh, to let your ego not be with you. And once your ego gets in the it gets into the performance, you'll never you'll never ever shoot good. You always you have an expectation. And it's really hard to blank that out. It takes a lot of effort to blank out. Uh, to blank out that ego part of it, you know, it's uh, it's a dri- it's a driven thing. It it kills a lot of competitors too. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, ever since your class, I've I've had moments where I I can consciously tell myself that I'm trying to make it happen. I can mm-hmm. feel myself doing it. I can yep. feel the the sort of bumps in the road as the you know mm-hmm. the match progresses. Uh, when you when you look at shooting. Uh, I'm curious how you define success, and I'll explain a little bit of why I'm asking this. Um, the first season, I tried my best to uh, reach out to veterans and law enforcement and try and help them with ways that they were struggling. And 
one of the things that I kind of landed on was a lot of people that were having a hard time were having a hard time defining what success meant in their life. And so what I've found is that successful shooters, the way they define success and how they obtain it can apply it to life as well. Or those, you know, the, the struggles that maybe some of them are going through. And so I was just curious how you define success both, both in your practice and in your career and then how you work towards obtaining success going forward. Ooh, I don't know if you ever can say you're successful because once you said that, you, you're going to probably quit learning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and every, every, every moment should be a learning curve. I've always told people, if you think you, if you, think you know what you're doing, you're probably losing out. Yeah. So when I go to line, I want to watch the, the the guy who had never shot before. I want to watch the guy who's winning. I want to watch, and uh, I want to always, as being a maintenance a maintenance mechanic, one of the things I always prided myself on, when I work, when I came up to a piece of equipment and it's running, I wanted to prove it that it's that it's running correctly. <laughs> so I want, and I walk up to it, I want to hear a baron rubbing. I want to hear something, you know, out of tune, that's knocking or something. And it's the same way. What I, I, I approach. My shooting style, every time I pick up a gun, I want to say, it's got to be a better way, mm-hmm. you know, because I've evolved distinctly probably five different phases in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, shooting styles change and speed of application change. So if you don't change in that style, you're going to you're going to fossilize and you're going to be a dinosaur. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people have fossilized and they're, and they're not in a sport anymore. Yeah. So I have to evolve. They've got a lot of young guys coming in with different ideas. So you always have to be in the moment and accept change and then we'd be willing to change it. Not have that notion that they say, well, this is the best. There's no right and wrong. There's only winning and losing. Yeah. yeah. You know, One so, of my favorite sayings. you know, so that's the whole thing about competition. You can sum it up right there. So when you get on the line, you have a, you have a concept of right, but then you've already uh, kind of limited yourself on the learning curve. So in order to be successful, you have to be pretty adaptive? Always. Okay. Always. And everything I shoot, it's got something that's better. Yeah. Something is better waiting. Do you apply that to the rest of the areas in your life? I like to listen a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and watch. And uh, the visual clues in competition, if you watch body, body language, body form, balance points, uh, it teaches you a lot about, you can watch a guy on a stage and tell you his, his, his balance isn't right, he's not going to shoot well. Mm-hmm. And people accept a, a stance or a style, and you can see that it, it's not balanced. It's not going to do him any good. So just I've learned a lot just by watching other people. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily winning, but losing. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and you can, you can see it in them, what, they, what they're struggling. So you don't want to repeat that. And, uh, and another thing that really taxing on a competitor is when you watch the guy ahead of you and he goes down say he's having really trouble and subconsciously you 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 rewind your training and you see you have that same trouble right there mm-hmm. and not to live in his moment yeah. and then get back to yours yeah so it's it's hard to watch and listen especially for rates of fire because it's so pronounced you can listen to another guy shooting like it's steel challenge or something you hear a guy making a good run in front of you and it always sounds better than yours yeah. So when you get up there, you got to blank all that out. You got to do your thing. Yeah. You don't want to shoot his match. You want to shoot your match. And it's really hard to go from, I'm listening to this guy. I'm watching him shoot real good. Now I got to get up there and perform. Okay. And you got to wipe all that out and just go back to your moment. Do you believe in the, like visualizing and speaking things uh, to be true? So for example, uh, right before I shoot a stage, I say, man, I can't, I can't hit swingers to save my life. 
and then the probability that I don't <laughs> shoot that swinger very well. <laughs> well, you you can, I've, but you can take that to different levels. Mm-hmm. When I shot a lot of steel, I practiced how to miss fast, yeah. intentionally. And I had another pro shooter said, why would you ever want to re- reinforce a negative? I said, when's the last time have you ever missed? Yeah. And the difference is I know how to pick it up. Yeah. I won't let it crush me. So, so I practice how to miss fast so I can pick it up and stay stay in cycle. Sounds really negative, but uh, it's actually a reality moment. And you can watch the guys who can miss fast. Now, it used to be a saying you couldn't miss fast to, to win, <laughs> and that is past. You can miss fast enough to win. Yeah. So if you don't want to play in their reality, you're not going to be competitive. Yeah. So you have to accept that I'm going to have to miss, and it's going to have to be really fast. <laughs> I'm going to have to really know how to pick it up. I'm not going to be competitive. That's well, that part of fossilizing. Yeah. You know. The, la- <laughs> the last time we talked to you, uh, you mentioned the flamethrowers. Yeah. So do you think the flamethrower mentality, they have trouble with that uh, practicing to miss uh, ideology? No, some of some of these guys have actually gone on to be world champions. Okay, yeah. And they have, and that's paying you dues. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys you get up there and they won't they won't have enough courage to miss. Yeah. And that limits your application. I'm not I'm not saying going out there and be wild, but you have to be the way things are evolving in a speed game. Mm-hmm. You better be willing to get it when yeah. they say go. You know, <laughs> if you're going to be conservative, odds are you're not going to make it. Yeah. So. Uh, so you have to step. You got to get your got to get your foot, your toe in the water, you know, and uh, go after it. Yeah. So, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not afraid to go after it. It just doesn't always turn out so well for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, that's that's part of the learning curve. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this year we've kind of had. Uh, I don't really know how the best to describe it, other than uh, the realization that the th- that our world can be changed very quickly. I suppose mm-hmm. uh, with all the the cancellations. Uh, I'm curious if if we knew that the next match uh, was going to be the last one that they'd let us have for a while, mm-hmm. and you got to pick uh, the style, going back all the different phases of your career that you've got to shoot. Uh, if you could do one more, what, would it be man-on-man? Would it be revolver? Would it be three-gun? It'd probably be three-gun. Okay. <laughs> I'm probably the most current on it. Yeah. That's one of my problems this year is trying to, is trying to get motivated to uh, to practice. Yeah. And everything keeps getting pushed back. And one thing about a match, you know, you, you train up for it and you do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know if it's going to be there or not, you're wasting, I say wasting, you're putting time and effort into training and then the match doesn't materialize and then you have a cool down period. Then you got to go back to uh, peaking your performance again. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of ammo you didn't you didn't spend wisely. So it's really hard to pick a training routine right now with these matches canceling all the time and what you're gonna how you're gonna train you know so you could uh you know ammunition getting harder to get and uh time is short and so it's kind of a it's kind of an odd time to be a competitor right yeah i i share that sentiment with actually doing podcasts you know it, you're right i do i do them in person i don't do them over mm-hmm. the internet and so you know it's it's hard to plan for them when it seems like everything's kind of getting bumped or or canceled like that uh, do you think that it's affected your performance in the matches you have shot this year? It hasn't helped any. Yeah. It really hasn't. I, I uh, It's just getting hard to get motivated and, and get into the moment, you know, because it takes a lot of ammunition to get to get into the moment. It takes time and a lot of ammo. In your experience, do you think it's going to take quite a bit of time to uh, retain the normalcy that maybe we had before? Or? You know, if you look at the last uh, probably three years, four years, mm-hmm. maybe five 
that's pretty brutal to say, but uh, I'm, I'm expecting this to last a couple of years. Okay. You know, just the way if you look back at, at, at past pandemics and uh, how much it's, it shut everything down. And we don't know what it's going to do in the wintertime. It might get severe, very severe, mm-hmm. and it might not. So that's one of those mystery things we're going to all have to live through to see what, what history is going to write in the books on that one. Is there any other um, time that you can remember that felt similar to this? No, I've never seen this. Really? Never. I've never seen the, the actual political unrest mixed with the, the chaos of the uh, the virus. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, <laughs> and, and all the insanity that's that's broadcast on the news every day it's kind of hard to to make a concept of it yeah i think everybody probably has that feeling to some extent do you think that there's some potential good that could come of it uh not just for shooting but for us as a, a country as a whole uh there is always good mm-hmm. uh there's always evil yeah yeah it's going to be an interesting six months yeah hmm. <laughs> What about, uh, let me ask you this, all the gun sales and the ammo sales, mm-hmm. do you think that the gun community, the gun industry as a whole, uh, has a good opportunity to benefit from this? Well, we all benefit because of the, the people now, uh, probably a million or so people have bought guns and never owned a gun before. Mm-hmm. So that's a million more voters that's going to vote pro-gun. Yeah. You know, and they're actually starting to see that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the governments in different areas are willing to step down and leave you unarmed yeah. <laughs> with no concept of your protection. And that's just always been a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people have accepted it in the past and always have taken the, I wouldn't say the pride, but the knowledge of, that you have to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. And now there's a whole, uh, another generation. I say generation, there's another group of people now that are realizing, hey, look, the government might just sat down. The police might not respond because they're, they are taxing them so hard on liability and funding, they might not even respond at all. Yeah. So there you are. You're Johnny on the spot, brother. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, what am I going to do? I don't know. I might just open my door, let them run through here and just take what they want. <laughs> so <laughs> so a lot of people having an actual reality moment mm-hmm. that you are responsible for your own safety. Mm-hmm. And they're going like, you know, this... Uh, Throwing apple pie at them might not just stop them. They have to do something <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> do you think, uh, so your daughters and kind of the, the newer generations of shooters, do you think it could potentially open some doors for more business for that generation? I think so. Uh, it's It's been demonized so much, gun ownership. But, it, you know, it's, it's a tool in the toolbox. You know, my dad was a farmer, farm boy, and to him a twenty two rifle is what you did. You know, you had a twenty two rifle, and when it come time to you know, to slaughter a, a, a cow or a pig or something, you know, you take twenty two rifle. You, what you do is a tool. Yes, that's sir. how you. That's how you start. You know, to butcher an animal, mm-hmm. and it's just a reality. You uh, you had a twenty two around the place. You had a you had a hay hook. You had tractors. It's just uh, something you use, mm-hmm. and it's just all it is. It's it's the misuse of anything. Uh, that's the problem. An ice pick is pretty deadly if you wanted to make it into a, other than an ice pick. So you could do it with any tool. So anyway, it's just the reality. People are waking up. Some people are anyway. Yeah. I, and I'd like to see, you know, Lena's group, you know, they, they're talented shooters. And if they, it opens the door for more courses, more people that want to get training. And that's better for all of us, in my opinion. It is. The there's, a, there's a lot of colleges now that have junior shooting uh, uh, shooting programs. Yeah. You know, uh which is really a good thing. There's a whole generation of people that, if you expose it to it correctly, uh, they'll take a lot of pride in gun ownership. Yeah. 
It's just uh, it has to be it has to be introduced correctly. So you, after this, you're going to teach a course. Yep. Uh, do you have any expectations of this course being different than other ones because of the climate, because of the year? Uh, it's going to well, the, the people that's going to be there, of course, are all uh, excited about being there. So I think it's going to really be a good fun four days. Yeah. Burn up a lot of shotgun ammo and uh, meet some folks and have a good time on the range. So, well, speaking of the shotgun, let's uh, let's talk about your shotgun a little bit. It came out uh, this year mm -hmm. at Shot Show, I believe, and uh, it's been seven months. How have uh, you know the feedback that you've gotten on it from both the uh, Mossberg and users? Uh, they can't build them quick enough, <laughs> which is a really good problem. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot. Of, I've had people who bought them. They're really excited about them. They uh, and for me, it was exciting to have Mossberg. It came down to our range, and we they sent some engineers down, and we sat down with the 930 that I had you know, the previous model, and we went through some things. That's that's a product development, you know. You get uh, like an automobile, you get two, three hundred thousand miles on a on a vehicle. You see what's good and what's what you need to tweak to make better. Yeah. And uh, they were willing to improve and make some make some enhancements, and uh, so the 940 is even a better a better overall product, easier to maintain. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited about the gun. It's, it's been really, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it looks impressive and, and it's pretty affordable compared to some of the other shotguns yes. that you might buy out yep. there. Uh, have you gotten pretty good feedback from other people that are using it too? Yeah, I have. Okay. Yeah, they're really liking it. They, they did an excellent job on making that shotgun uh, very easy to load. Mm. So if you want a quad, a quad load or a twin load or a single load, it's it's extremely it's set up out of the box you just pick it up and and, and just go to work with it mm -hmm. and there's no there's no other shotgun on the market that has that feature when you were sitting down with the engineers is that something that was important to you? very very much so yeah you've yep. told you've told me a couple of times that the the shotgun is usually comes down to who can load it the fastest it is so it's yep. got to be quite the advantage to it does it has to be user friendly and if you buy a fifteen hundred dollar gun and you got to have another six hundred dollars worth of work done on it to make it user friendly and you can buy one buy one already manufactured for that aspect of the market. I mean, it's a good thing. Yeah. You just pick it up and go play. Yeah, and that's, I think that's what everybody's trying to achieve regardless of their market is yep. less aftermarket parts. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about products, what about the 1 to 10? Have you, have you liked that if you've used it yet? I ha I've got a couple at the house. Uh, I haven't seen a match that I, I, I needed it just yet. Okay. So, but I'm going to do some hunting with it in the fall. Okay. I'm going to take it elk hunting, and uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be set up really good for that. So you've been using the the one to six this year in the matches yeah, you've shot. Yeah, I have. Yep, the one by six. Yep. What uh what keeps you on the one to six versus the one to ten? I like the reticle not changing through yeah. the, through, through the power spectrum. That JM reticle is pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 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 spoiled to that. Yeah. Uh, the one by ten has some features like today we I could have used it out to four hundred. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of stuck on a one by six right now. Yeah. So I don't know. I I'll, I'll have to see how 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 that transpires. But uh, yeah, the other one has some features that the one by six does not have. So we'll see how it how it goes. It's it's a great scope, by the way. Are they are they both similar weights? They're not much. They different, are. Right? They're about the same weight and size. So it, it's it's the, to get that kind of a magnification range into one scope. Yeah. That's pretty trick. Yeah. <laughs> and the field of view on it, that's good. It's it's pretty. It's it's a spectacular piece of optics. And this is what has you know, I don't know if people. Of course, I'm 65. I've been competing for 40 years. So 
we I've been limited by bad equipment for a long time, <laughs> yeah. and it's really amazing. You know, uh, I'll say something about you know Jeff Cooper with his with his scout rifle. Mm-hmm. He had uh, back then the optics were hardly nothing. You know, you get a one by four scope and a field of view is like fifty five feet on one power. Now you have a hundred eighteen feet uh, foot field of view at one power. So the idea of a scout rifle, you don't even need that anymore. Yeah. You get a one by six. You got you. You can shoot both eyes open like a red dot. I mean, what's better than that? Yeah, it's all the view you could possibly. Yeah, and you want. go to six or that one by you know the one by ten. If you want to shoot out to a thousand yards, and you can do that. You shoot. You can shoot your finger in front of the barrel. You can see it yeah. with one power. So it's a beautiful thing. Optics have come have come along so much. There's so much advancement in optics and quality of ammunition and guns that uh, it's it's pretty staggering. When I can think back to when I started to now how much more the the uh, the shooter, the enthusiast, has in front of him to play with, mm-hmm. it's pretty staggering. It is amazing to me. And and the ammunition quality, like Hornady, uh, with their 6.5 Creedmoor and their uh, the Amax and VMAX bullets and everything else that they manufacture, the XTPs, and it's just... Uh, and that's one thing, you know, talk about bullseye shooting. One, one reason the guy shot 38 wad cutters back then, because there was really not a quality jacketed bullet for a handgun. Hmm. So the thirty-eight lead wad cutter in bullseye days were, was was the dominant thing. Now you can buy a quality hundred and fifteen grain nine millimeter bullet that I'll shoot a thirty-eight special wad cutter. <laughs> so it's you know things have evolved back in the forties and fifties and sixties to now. It's just a staggering uh, amount of advancement. Do you think that that technology and, and advancement sometimes hinders skill, or is that not the way it works? It can. Okay. That, that's that's a, that's a good point, and that's one thing I, I can I can go back to Jim Senior. You know, we I talked to him extensively about competing, about you know, to Jim, why don't you put a four power scope on your pistol when you're competing? Yeah. He said, well, you can see it, but you can't handle it. Ah. You can't trigger, and it's more important trigger pull is more important than sight alignment. So having that big coarse metallic sight, uh, and you couldn't see the wobble as much, and you just go ahead and press through with a good trigger pull mm-hmm. was better than having like a say a four power scope and you could see exactly where the bullet was going to go but you couldn't trigger that's really interesting yeah it does all the technology in the world doesn't help you if you can't pull you that ha- trigger yeah you, ha- you have to apply it you know that's one of the things we i kind of I, I was always but but i say butting heads with him but uh trying to uh scope him out yeah you know i'd, I'd pick him till he gets kind of raw and he would answer me you know <laughs> But he was such a good competitor. He had a, I mean, he had a beautiful trigger pull. Yeah. I'd, I'd give my left leg for his trigger pull. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Ex- exquisite. So with <laughs> with the uh, the handgun, uh, you seem to be pretty content with your Smith & Wesson and your yep. Vortex Red Dot on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's working about that that just doesn't need any adjusting for the last few years? You know, that's one of the things, if you'd have told me 15 years ago I'd be shooting a, a polymer frame pistol, I'd have laughed at you, you know. And like, <laughs> and when, I, when I actually saw that, the M&P series, when it first came out, I went, meh. You know, it's like a Coke bottle, you know, re- re-engineered into a pistol. <laughs> but but after, that's one of those things that, you know, I'm talking about evolving with products. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the old guys, you know, I got to have a steel frame, got to have this. But after you get into the polymer frame guns, the M&Ps are so easy. And the other thing that's really surprising, a lot of people don't give a lot of attention to, is the quality of the magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what feeds the gun. Yeah. If it's not a good design, that somewhere along the line it's going to bite you. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to feed. Those M&P mags I have, I bet they're six years old. Change the springs in them every couple of years. As a matter of fact, one of my, my short mags, I use it for practice a lot. And right before I came to this match, I took everything down. And I always do a detailed cleaning. 
Mm-hmm. I had an aftermarket spring in it because it has an extension on it. It was broken. Oh, wow. And I still ran 400 rounds. <laughs> I shot all week on that broken magazine. Well, that's confidence. I know, and I've yeah. taken it apart. I said, this thing shouldn't be running. How did this thing work? <laughs> and that's how good the magazine design is. And the pistol itself, that external extractor is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And it, when you see an external extractor on a gun, that just brings the reliability of it up. Okay. And it's so easy. It's, there's no maintenance on it. You put a little oil on it, put it together, and uh, it's just uh, so easy to work with. Do you tweak anything with it? Well, I, I do a trigger job on it. Okay. I, I just take the, the factory parts yeah. and kind of recontour them and make them the way I want, stretch the springs a little bit, and I get the trigger pull where I want it, like three pounds. Boop, there she go. And you ha- you use the, the standard curve one that it comes yeah. with? Yeah, yep. Okay, not yeah. a flat trigger guy on no, that? No, no. Okay. Uh, my finger's not rated for that yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't grown to that level of proficiency. Does the curve trigger uh, in some ways uh, relate to a revolver trigger? It can. I've shot revolver a lot. And that's, you know, it's a good point you bring up. A revolver trigger is a half inch worth of pole, mm-hmm. and a pistol is a, you know, a third of that or less. Okay. So uh, it, your mind has to go totally different. Yeah. Totally different on how to shoot it. So it's actually considerably less because you were talking about double action. Yeah, right. right. Okay. Double action pole is a half inch. Is a reset on, on those double actions a lot more as well then, about the same? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's going to be same pull, same release on a revolver. But the, the if you can shoot a revolver good, it's probably not a handgun you, can, you, can, you can't pick up, you're not going to shoot well. Okay. So a lot of that stuff translated. Oh, yeah, now. very much so. If you can stay patient on a half inch worth of trigger pull, uh-huh. you can pick up just about anything and shoot it well. Yeah. So... So the, the, you shoot open in three gun then? Yeah. Okay. Open. So you're shooting against a lot of guys with 2011s or kind of more of a race gun style. Yeah. Uh, you don't you don't feel like you need any more of those trinkets that some of the other guys are using? No, I I, I wouldn't. No. Uh, uh, the gun is probably as accurate as most of the guns. Sure. Yeah. And it's easy to maintain and. Uh, I, I like where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, you're killing it with yeah, it. You know, it's, it's doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what red dot are you using on it? It's a, a Venom. Okay. Yep. Do you have a, a slide milled for that, or is it... Well, that the, the Smith & Wesson's come milled for it. That's right, yeah. They... You put, it comes with, I think, five bases. You can put, like, seven optics on it. Okay. So you find something that's going to fit it. If you got something in the toolbox, one an optic laying around, it probably fit the gun. Yeah, <laughs> and that's really a good thing. That's one of the advancements that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. There's so much good stuff coming out. Yeah, you don't have to have a gunsmith. You don't have to send your gun off. You don't have to do anything. You just just take that little plastic adapter off and find the right screws and base and put your uh, an optic on and go play. Yeah, it's just fun. It's just easy to do now. There's really no excuse. Well, I, I use optics because my eyes are about shot. You know, for metallic sights. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that happens to you when you get to be about 50. Your focal plane changes. Yeah. If you live long enough, you'll be you'll you'll notice it. <laughs> I'm already starting to have that come up. Uh, what size dot do you run on the Venom? Uh, it's a it's a six. Okay. And yeah. is that the same size you run on your uh, rifle as well? No, I I use a uh, three. Okay. So you, why do you choose to go a little bit smaller on the rifle? In case I need to shoot it out at distance. Okay. Yeah. If something sense. if something goes wrong, I can shoot that dot out to a couple hundred yards. Yeah. If it's an eight six on eight minute dot, it'd be hard to hit a ten inch target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does so. uh, does the lighter equipment like the lighter pistol does that come into play at all too? It makes it whippy. Okay. And you got to be you got to be careful with a light gun. It gives you no follow through. Mm. So you have to even be better on a trigger. Okay. It's like shooting a bow without a stabilizer. Yeah. They'll shoot the same, but the stabilizer makes it a lot more easy. It gives you follow-through with a bad release. 
Uh-huh. So you look, you, you can look at a handgun being the same way. If it's lightweight, you got a bad release on a trigger. It's not yeah. going to be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So yeah, <laughs> heavy gives you follow through. Okay. So we were talking about the accuracy of an ammunition. What do you run in your rifle for the most part at these matches? Well, I'm, I've got some of the uh, the Hornady steel match, okay. which they don't make anymore. But I, I shoot that, and uh, in the handgun, I have a reload with the Hornady the Hap 115 bullet. Okay. Which is an XTP without the flutes in it. Mm-hmm. And they shoot extremely well in that gun. I've got, a, I've got an uh, aftermarket barrel that's made by Apex. Okay. And it'll shoot, it'll shoot easy two inches at 50. And you're shooting the same 223 whether you're close or far? Well, I have two different loads, 55s okay. uh, for everything close and... Uh, out to about two three about two fifty I'll shoot that, and then the seventy five grain which really overlaps, mm-hmm. and that gun same point aim out to three hundred. Wow, got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> most guns you have to do a couple of clicks, but that barrel for some reason it'll shoot them same up to three hundred. So, does the the slugs and the birdshot and then the seventy fives and fifty fives has it become an issue at some point for you or other shooters? Uh, as far as you know, the ammo that changes and varies while shooting it in a match, like keeping it straight, which ammo you need to use. Yeah, that's some of the problem of using dual ammunition. You have to stay on top of it. Okay. Like we did the walkthroughs, I took notes at 55s or 75s. Yeah. So the morning before the match or something, I'll load mags and swap it out if I need to. Or. Okay. Yeah, I had brought some heavy ammo here, which I'm really glad I did. It had a spinner, extremely hard to set. I had some nine millimeter that was loaded to 150 power factor, and and because I drove, I had, I I brought it with me, and it was a good thing because it really saved me on that stage. <laughs> it was with the pistol you had to hit the right. spinner. Yep. Okay. Yeah. If I'd have had just my little light loads that I usually shoot, I'd I'd have stood there a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> was oh, there I, a, was oh. there any stages at this match that were particularly uh, tricky or or had some gimmicks in them? That spinner was probably the. The hardest one. If you didn't have the right ammo, you're going to be there a while. Okay. And if you didn't set it, it was a 30-second penalty. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty, quite per, the penalty. <laughs> pretty brutal. All, all the long-range targets were 30-second penalties too. Okay. So you could, uh, you have to really invest some time into your hitting the targets well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your opinion on? Uh, I'll ask a two-part question. One, yeah. what is your opinion on really gimmicky stuff on stages? So you know just something you wouldn't see very often or something that's just kind of outside of the norm well what we had here we had we had more aerial targets okay than what i'd have expected mm. and they weren't easy yeah they were pretty hard the presentation was was hard because the target was on edge and if you're not really a, a shooter if you don't shoot a lot of aerial targets it's very easy not to see the target being you know once it's coming out of the trap mm-hmm. uh, that i didn't expect to see here so but uh, that spinner was one was was a big uh, trick. If you didn't have the right ammo for that, you're not going to be doing well. Uh, I don't think it should have been in the match personally. Okay. So you think that uh, to some extent, some gimmicks can hinder a match, or, or it, a it can. You know, I, I've been I've been to so many matches now that I, I bring two different ammos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's one thing about. Uh, Matches like USPSA or IPSC, mm-hmm. there's not a target on the range that you won't be able to do with the power factor that it's recommended to do. Okay. You know, and you could do that spinner today with, with regular 9mm ball, but it's going to take you a lot of time. Okay. So, like, I always bring a few boxes of heavy shotgun shells, 
in case you come up on something that you need to thump it really hard. Yeah. And uh, so that's just part of going to matches. You know, you have to expect the unexpected. Right. So I had a, I had a hundred rounds of that heavy nine loaded, and I had a couple of, a couple of boxes of heavy bird shot, which I didn't need. But every now and then you come across a target setup where you have to might have to run to town and buy something. Yeah. <laughs> If you're fortunate enough. Yeah. If there's no town around yeah, here, I don't yeah, think. Yeah. Uh, the second part of the question is, so y you used to do the matches, I believe it was FN and Trigicon, where the, yeah. the guns and ammo were supplied. Yep. Uh, pretty interesting concept there. What do you think about when matches introduce a gun that is a community gun or that every shooter will have to use? Does that help or hinder the competition? Well, I can look at it two ways. I, I shoot everything. Yeah. I've shot just about everything, so I really... I don't like a metallic-sided gun because I don't have the gl my glasses set up for it. Mm. I'm set up for open. Okay. So it kind of it kind of hurts the older guys and and ladies who are competing if you have a metallic gun. Uh, the other side of a coin is uh, why would you want to put it in there? Yeah. You know, uh, I can see it at a at a at 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 a local match when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. But Trigicon was set up because you went there with the knowledge that these guys sponsored the match, mm -hmm. and you were going to do that. Right, but when you go to a match, say like like this match, which they didn't have any surprise guns, uh, you it's a shooting match. You come with your equipment that you're going to shoot. Mm -hmm. That would be like a race driver going into a say a, uh, a race of some kind, and you got to get in somebody else's car. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. he didn't know how the suspension set up or nothing. He didn't know know, know anything about it. He's not going to do well, and that's not the reason he's there. He's there he's there to race his equipment. Yeah. So when you introduce a, a stage gun like that. I could see doing it for fun off the clock so everybody can experience it and the sponsor gets a level of, you know, productivity out of it. Mm -hmm. But when you put it into the stage of fire, it's not why you're it's not why you're there. Right. You're there to race with your equipment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that's the uh that's my, my my point of view on it, which is I like to see different guns on the range. I like to shoot different guns and but it, if if you know that before you before you go to a match, you have to accept it. Sure. But if it's in, if it's a, if it's a it's part of a surprise stage, which is no such thing as a surprise stage, by the way. Yeah. That's one thing I, I truly dislike in a, at a match, because the first guys go through there, they are, they're the they're they're just chum. Yeah. And the second day, everybody knows what's going on. Yeah, the guinea pigs. They, they, yeah, they had to pay the price, so that that never works. Right. It's a good it's good to have a, at a club match or something where you're just having fun, but not at a not at a national or a level match like we're having here. Yeah, my experience is obviously a lot more limited, but I agree that I don't think that it ever enhances the competition, and it doesn't ever separate the competitors in a good way. No, it, it just creates another variable that you know could go one person's mm -hmm. way versus versus the other. What yep. What were those matches like? Where all the guns and ammo and optics were supplied? How did you train for that? Well, you just you, well, of course, I'm kind of fortunate. I've been in the industry for so long. I shoot everything. Yeah. And I have just about every every gun that I would think would be at a match. Sure. And if I didn't have one, I'd probably go get one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get borrow one or borrow one or something. If it's really a match that had a lot of payout, uh, which I did in the past, and so you 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 accept that, you know, yeah. that's part of the deal. So I was watching one that Keith Garcia won, and in the mm -hmm. final stage of the match, they swapped out the two two three scar for the scar 308 at the very end yeah and i just thought that was an odd thing to do at the <laughs> at the very end like that they make that happen yeah did they ever swap guns like that on you i haven't had that happen okay that's kind of that's kind of uniquely uh terrible yeah <laughs> <laughs> now i get uh, well apparently keith 
uh, manned up and did what he needed to do with it. So. Yeah, he won. I, that was yeah. actually the, I think one of those years was like $50,000 payout. It was one of the mm-hmm. big ones before uh, Three Gun Nation uh, I got, got taken off. Yep. Yeah, Keith's a good rifle guy, so it probably didn't make him any difference. Yeah. So. <laughs> he even talked about how it kind of just shocked him, too, uh, when he was speaking about it. But uh, I was just curious what it's like to shoot uh, the same gun as everybody else, if it really kind of feels like the ultimate shooter competition, or that's not how it ends up in reality. Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a big question right there. Uh, it brings in, I wouldn't say luck factor, but it does bring in kind of a carnival aspect of the match i shot a we well one of the one of the matches we shot you know for money one of the big matches they had uh i think it was beretta was nice enough to supply over and under shotguns but unfortunately for me i have a big face and the <laughs> shotguns were set for very thin people mm. and the gun shot for me 80 percent high mm. no matter what i could i could not cheek my that gun to get the rib flat there's no way i could shoot it well Okay. And it it, it, dev- it devastated my my run. I had a, had a twenty five bird, uh, double trap, hit six. Was that on a? Uh, well, they they filmed that. Was that on a TV yeah. show? Yeah. Okay. And, and no way I I I, I should have just shot it from the hip. Yeah. I could. There was no way physically I could I could see the rib. Flat. I remember that that episode. The, all the buttstocks were the exact same length. Right. Yeah. It, but it wasn't the length. It was, it was how high the comb was. Yeah, yeah. The comb was so high I couldn't physically get my face down on the gun to see the see the rib. So there was no way I could shoot it correctly. That kind of a situation is totally. Uh, so it 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 fit the guy who would fit. Yeah. It would fit if it had been a field gun, with a regular field stock. Most of the time I could get away with it, you know. So it 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 handicapped the. A bunch of shooters, and it, and it fit a bunch of shooters. Mm-hmm. So it, it was devastatingly terrible to a lot of guys. Yeah. You what, know. When did you figure out that that was the case? That the that gun didn't fit you? Oh, you could pick it up. They had, yeah. they had a. You, you, they, they let you shoot a pattern board with it, and it, they should have shot it from the hip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <And> was, I, <laughs> actually, you kind of just led to slaughter. You know, you're going to die on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, seeing the evolution through, uh, you know, your career, what do you think uh, would be the next thing on the horizon? Where do you think shooting will evolve towards next? Unfortunately, the target sports, like bullseye shooting, is dying. Mm-hmm. It's a very hard, very hard discipline to learn. Uh, very, very challenging. Uh, action shooting is probably the, the thing. A lot of good action shooters coming up, steel challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it draws interest to the younger people, yeah. You know, because it's exciting, it's fast paced, and uh, if there was more money in shooting, you'd you'd get another level of 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 competitor in it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it, it's not a well. It's not like golf where you can win millions of dollars, you know. And uh, if it would be, you'd have a lot of people competing, and it would elevate the sport very quickly. Yeah. Because you'd have people training twenty four seven. You'd also see a lot more innovation in in product lines. And and yet, well, you see that now. Uh, I remember when Jerry Bornhart showed uh, at the USPSA Nationals. He he came in with a thirty-eight super with a red dot on it. Yeah. It was like, what is this? And he he won the match. Yeah. You know, he was innovating. Yeah. And if it if it had a lot more money in in these matches, you'd see a lot quicker innovation in firearms. I often said that the U.S. government wanted wanted to actually progress their small arms development. They would put like a million dollar prize. And you you pump, you come to the line, you do what you want. 
yeah. that we're going to have a match. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. This is the criteria for the match. We're going to shoot X, Y, Z, and this, this, and this. You come up to the line, bolt it together. Let's let's play. Yeah. You'd get more advancement than some engineer sitting in an office who's not excited about shooting mm-hmm. an application of the gun at a target. You'd get more quicker in competition. You always com- competition makes innovation. Yeah. So do you think that that's your your sort of opinion on how we grow it then or how we make it more exciting and more innovation is try and add more uh, incentive in some ways? It can, yeah. It's, it, uh, it's always uh, you want to try something different, add another flair to it, uh, put another different style of shooting, make it like PRS right now, you know, the rifle game is exploding. Mm-hmm. Optics and guns are just, you see guns now that 10 years ago you would have laughed at you. I mean, they're so they're, they're so radically good, yeah. and the ammunition is so good. And the optics, it just you 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 create a need, and uh, people participate, and it grows, and they want better and better, and they, and, and they, they actually demand better and better. And the offside of all that is, the soldiers going into into harm's way now are equipped with a lot better sniping equipment mm-hmm. than they ever have. That long range ability to shoot and engage is uh, drastically different. Like when father-in-law. I would say, you know, Jim Clark was a Marine sniper and uh, on Saipan. I asked him what kind of ammunition you use. He said, you, you, you just picked up a bandolier. There was no issued sniper ammunition. Just same as everybody yeah, else. Yeah, just grab something. I said, what, what did you use? He said, I, I shot AP. Yeah. You know, that's what he shot. So he just, there's nothing to issue for that. <laughs> you just grab something and do it. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> and now there's so much specialized equipment for, for a sniper to engage it way further distances, better equipment, and just... Uh, it's just evolving constantly, and a lot of it's uh, an offshoot of the uh, PRS matches. Mm-hmm. They demand better and better. They get new cartridges. Hornady coming out with that 300 PRC, the 6.5 PRC. Uh, Sig has that 277 uh, round that came out, a steel-headed round, and so it's just better and better. So I know you've done one match with your brother-in-law in, yeah. in PRS. Yep. Uh, yep. It sounds like you're starting to. Hit dabble in it a little bit you see yourself maybe trying some long range stuff <laughs> i could uh yeah. that's another fun game it just takes a lot of time yeah uh it's 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 all fun yeah i could easily get into it but yeah. then you know uh, the sponsorship in there for me right now so i gotta go where, the, where i'm getting paid okay that's fine <laughs> we all gotta we all gotta pay the electric bill. yeah gotta pay the bill so uh what is on the horizon for you what do you got for for goals coming up or what would you like to try and obtain uh going into this stage in your career well i would like to maybe do some more speed shooting with the uh the modern sporting rifle i, I did one record yeah with the stl drill that always intrigues me shooting a rifle fast yeah something like that uh, well we'll take a, a break from that real quick let's talk a little bit about what an nra record is and how that you got to have somebody come out right that's yeah an nra it was an nra i refer to it as sanctioned uh but it had an nra official there and he verified the times okay so you you, you can pay for the service yeah and uh, they'll come out and they'll verify what you do and they'll they'll judge it and watch it and uh say whether it was good or bad okay and so <laughs> what you'd like to do is set up some of these drills with the rifle yeah and then break some records huh? oh so set some records oh set some records and the whole idea is to get people to go out and have fun yeah like when i, I posted the stl drill on my channel you know I, and I i shot a few times i said see what you can do guys and i got all kind of videos back of people playing you know having a good time shooting a drill yeah so it's uh i actually came up with that when when i when i was doing a military class yeah uh 
the guys were getting kind of bored. I said, let's do this, you know, and we, <laughs> we did that for a while, and everybody got excited about it. So uh, it's kind of a realistic application. Yeah. And uh, and it's fun to shoot. Yeah, you've got to you got to be counting too. That's I think one of the hard, hardest parts yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, you got to count and you got to see more than one target yeah. and, and different target zones. Yeah. So it has a, it has a real a lot of real life application, and that's one of the things that this shooting style that we do here, this practical shooting, bleeds right off into actual use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see uh, uh, you see a lot of the military teams bring people to to the three gun matches. Yeah, because like like my father in law, of course, he was a marine. You're standing, kneeling, sitting prone. Uh-huh. And they throw you off on a beach like Saipan. <laughs> you got no time for standing, kneeling, sitting prone or sling. You're yeah. just running around trying not to get shot and shooting back. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like, it's it's almost like street fighting is to uh, boxing. Hmm. That's a great analogy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, you, you're using your fist, but in a totally different way. Yeah. So, and uh, the standards in combat, or there is none. Mm-hmm. There's only winners or losers, you know. So, <laughs> so a lot of the guys who actually were were actually good in combat were actually guys who grew up with guns back home. You know, they were farmers or they were whatever, and they had guns and they hunted, and they knew how to run around and shoot. Yeah, Im- improvise a shooting position rapidly. Uh, so it's uh, it's like street fighting, you know. So you learn how to take a good position and what's going to give you the most uh, benefit from that position and shoot it well. PRS. You know, the guys are their equipment is staggeringly changing. It's almost like uh it's almost like buying a buying anything with uh <laughs> that that's it. Anything that's related to a computer yeah. within six months is obsolete. Garbage. <laughs> so the same thing with PRS, their 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 bags, their their tripods and stuff are evolving constantly. Yeah. And that's gonna really help the guys, the soldiers that go in the field. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing, you know, about Germany in the second war, they had all these clubs. They had glider clubs, they had rocket clubs, they had all these clubs that were innovating. And then when the war came around, guess what? All that all that knowledge came from came from these clubs hmm. that were competing. Okay. Competition always breeds innovation. Okay. And they were smart enough to have competitions that led to, unfortunately, them being almost superior yeah. in the application of war. So they had they had shooting competitions. Well, not shooting, but all the other oh, okay. the glider clubs, and they had they had rocket clubs. They had just about anything you think of. Just who Comp- could be the best. Yeah, right? and then of course when the war came around, they were there, you know. Yeah. So, good or bad, that's how it evolved. Yeah. Uh, well, going along with that, so I've got two little girls. One's two, and the other one's six months old. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be at least around shooting, and you know I think. People like Kay, who's won two world championships, and then your daughter—they've—they've uh, they've taken the female shooting game to another level, especially with uh, like Babes with Bullets, the the uh, match that they run with the club. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, w- what have you seen from the female shooting realm? Uh, how have you seen it evolve, and how much more do you think it it will evolve? I think uh, women do especially good in in shooting. Mm. I don't know if they'll ever be as, as I won't say as fast, but as uh, competitive in the three gun because they're just not physically that size sure but their ability to learn very quick and see fast is is uh, really good mm-hmm. lena showed me that early on and Kay also uh they come into the into most competitions with with an open mind mm-hmm. and they learn very quick where most men are tainted by testosterone <laughs> <laughs> everybody's john wayne yeah. un, until proving otherwise <laughs> they have that concept <laughs> so they 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 see through a different eye 
Yeah. And they can compete very well. Have Have you seen the gap uh, between men and women uh, sort of shrink over the years? It is. You know, Lena. I think she was seventh or eighth in the in the PCC nationals this year. Really. And there was that. There was another female shooter right behind her. So, in that application, they're very see. But in the PCC game, it's a, a lot of it is footwork and how flexible you are. Okay. And these young ladies, like Lena, she can she can fold up into a knot in just about any shooting position and get get the job done. Mm-hmm. And big bulky guys, they can't do that. Yeah. So her application in that in that spectrum is uh, really good. And uh, if they train hard, they can shoot just as fast and see as fast and probably run as quick as quick in the short sprint uh, sprints that you need to do in that in that uh, in that game. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I can see in that it's gonna they they can even get better. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot more ladies than than in the past as well? I would say it's it's more. Uh, there's a lot of women get into it just because it's a different experience. They've yeah. never they've, they've never competed and they just want to get out and, and have some fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they got the diehard, you know, younger generation coming in. So it's good though. The, the women on the range are good or a good thing. Do you think there's anything that uh, the shooting world could do to? Uh, and make it more inviting or or do better because even the matches I go to I'd say it's still about 80 20 yeah uh I just think unfortunately most women when they go into a gun shop it's kind of a turn off to them Mm -hmm. because they will say you need to do this and do this and automatically they're not they're 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 tainted to the experience because somebody's like talking down to them Mm-hmm. But if like like with the babes camps with the with the babes with bullet camps and there's all female instructors, mm-hmm. they take to it more readily because they don't feel like they're being talked down to, right? And they're equal footing, and uh, so it's you know testosterone men are always button heads. Yeah, you know I'm right, you're wrong, or whatever. So when the women compete, they 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 tend to be friendlier mm-hmm. toward uh, a competitor and more open minded to 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 get more women in. Mm-hmm. So if you if they were to come out and just hang out with the women, they would have a totally different view, I think, of uh, competition and gun ownership than if they went into a gun shop and say, hey, "Look, I want to shoot three guns. What do you think?" Yeah, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> it has to be introduced in, in in the right way with the right people, and uh, you'd have more. Yeah, you think uh, selling the independence that uh, being proficient with a firearm would be one of those avenues? As it well? is. That's one thing. Uh, with with the babes camps, from talking to Kay, mm-hmm. some of the women had had bad stuff happen to them in their lives, and they were they were scared and didn't know how to how to respond to it. And when you don't know how to respond, you kind of shrink into your own world. Mm-hmm. And it 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 not say uh, made them braver, but it it opened a, another realm of responsibility mm-hmm. of how they can do yeah. and protect themselves and be a member of society and don't have to cower down. So. It's a good thing, you know. I, I think about it. it. It should be taught in school. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. I think especially uh, from a father perspective, I mean, you can't always be there. You know, you've right. got lots of other things to do. Uh, so the best thing you can do is uh, teach them to protect themselves. Well, just it's, it's a tool. You're going to come yeah. across it in life. You know, it's like uh, you're going to come across it. So you should know how to you should know how to apply yourself to it safely. Yeah. So. Do you enjoy watching uh, watching the female competitors when you're when you're at matches or watching? I, I do. They they uh they 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 have fun. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when we compete, we we forget to have fun. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you're not smiling when you're shooting, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to have a little bit of a grin, and uh, they they bring that into the sport where they just relax and just shoot, 
and uh it's it's a good thing to feed off of yeah. okay we we tend to get too serious and when you compete really hard sometimes you actually lose the uh the fun of it mm-hmm. and uh, it makes for a long day yeah <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're not having much fun yeah like okay <laughs> yeah so there's there's probably a lot of opinions out there about what your uh what your legacy would be you know, best best revolver shooter ever i think uh you know one of the best shooters of all time is fair but what would if you could describe it, what is the legacy that you want to uh, emphasize the most? Whew. I would just say having fun with a gun. Yeah. You know, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I started shooting BB guns and stuff. It was just uh, it was just fun. And I've always tried to go with the fun aspect of it. Yeah. And I've made it a job. And I, like one professional shooter told me, he said, the best way to screw up a good hobby is to make it your career. <laughs> 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 but uh i've been fortunate enough to where i can i could branch out into other things okay you know when you shoot like three gun revolver uh whatever so it's uh i've had enough variation in it to where i never got to be boring yeah so i got to meet a lot of really nice people yeah so is, it's pretty cool is uh you know the barrett 50 cal is videos like that is that kind of uh what you envision of having fun because i mean that's i think anybody that sees that no matter how seasoned of a shooter they are i mean i think they just makes people smile when they see stuff yeah, that's, like that's that. you know that's nobody likes to get talked down to yeah. and if you just have fun everybody can relate to it yeah and uh, be a part of it but uh it's, it's not boot camp when you go to a match it's not boot camp yeah, yeah. you know i don't have a i don't have a drill sergeant yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm so, just gonna i'm just gonna do it do it for me you know have fun when you did that 50 cal video, had you ever shot a Barrett before? I had two sider rounds. <laughs> <laughs> it must so, have been pretty close then if you only needed two shots to sight it in. Well, the gun actually, uh, when you shoot a lot, the gun was actually talking to me really, really good. Okay. The the impulse. Yeah. And it was just natural to shoot that thing at about 17 splits. Yeah. It's kind of hard to relate to people who haven't shot a lot. Mm-hmm. But when I pulled the trigger, it said, okay, give me another one right now. And it was just like, Yeah, just like kids shooting cans with a, with a, with a big BB gun. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> the gun just got a little bigger. It just got bigger. <laughs> yeah, have you uh, have you enjoyed doing the YouTube stuff and, and that kind of thing? I have. I have. One, one of the things that I've come to realize about the YouTube channel, it can, it can be a big money pit. Yeah. But it also brings a lot of people into the sport. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I had some soldiers here today telling me, you know, they they thank me for the for the years of input on uh, on how to shoot my style anyway, and uh, they help them in their training. Mm-hmm. And these are the guys who pays the bills, you know. Yeah. So the rest of us are, are so fortunate to have these guys willing to go out and protect us. So if I can give them a little bit of knowledge and they can get home safely, a little bit safer, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So that I take a lot of pride in. So passing it on to these guys. Yeah. And I, I know you do quite a bit of it that uh, doesn't quite get publicly recognized, which is fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, one quick question I had about that. So the very first class you did with the military versus yeah. one of the more recent ones. Yeah. Have you seen a change in just the base level skills that the guys have when you show up? Well, the guys I train with are the, are the best. Right, yeah. And they got there because they're very good and they can learn extremely fast on a variation of anything you put in front of them. So uh, 
they'll suck it up real quick. Yeah. You know, it's uh, they can they can they can feed off of it. Which which is for an instructor, it's like a high. Mm-hmm. When you get them out there and everybody's really cooking and having a good time and, and shooting really good, it to me I'm just looking around. Yeah, this is it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I want to be. This is fun. You know, I'm around, I'm, I'm around the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're very we're, we're very fortunate as a country to have people like that. I, I don't know if I could state that enough. Cause a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys don't come back. Yeah, they don't come back. And they do a lot of stuff too that uh, that requires some pretty high level performance shooting. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> I asked old Jim Senior one time. I said, Jim, what do you do about match match stress? He started laughing. He said, eh, he said when I was 18, when I, I'm sorry, when I was 21 years old, they threw me out on the beach and it was called Saipan. <laughs> he said, everything, <laughs> everything you do is gravy. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> well, you got me there, Jim. <laughs> you got to look at it. Everything, everything has its, its, its own moment. Yeah. So if you, if you lose a match, what, uh, so what, you had a few days invested in it? Yeah. You, you still just, apply that thinking today? I try to always look at, look at myself from, uh, from, from up on top how people view it and uh what i what i how i i want to view it mm-hmm. if you make it too serious it's not it's not worth it yeah it, it probably doesn't help your performance in it'll that, make it know. negative real quick <laughs> oh i've seen it ruin a lot of guys yeah so y- your legacy about having fun with a gun do you think that uh the way that you carry yourself at a match too is that a big part of it oh it has well yeah i don't want to be uh the one sitting on my hands right I want to work as hard or harder than anybody on the range. And uh, so I always try to tape and do more than anybody else. Yeah. I've, I've seen you smile after, you know, bad breaks or, oh, or yeah. things that go wrong. <laughs> and I, I was just, you know, for me, when I throw a little fit after a stage or something, nobody's watching me. But like, <laughs> when, when you finish a stage, everyone's watching what you're doing and, and how you're carrying yourself. And it seems to me anyway that you're very conscious of that. You have to be, you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you, you, you want to set a standard. Yeah. You know, so, uh, it, yeah, I always try to take pride in a standard. Yeah. What is your standard? I want to do more than the next guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> when I showed up today, you had your work gloves on and you were setting yeah, up all yeah, the steel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That goes back to an old George Foreman story mm. I'll share with you. Okay. I saw an interview with him. You know, he had, he had been out of prize uh, boxing, you know, uh, for a while, and he was going to do another another fight. I forgot who against. But anyway, he said he was so far out of shape. The way he got in shape, he'd had a, a hamper full of ping pong balls, and he'd dump them out in the living room and pick them up. <laughs> you know, and he just did that for, for days and days. And I was thinking, you know, I'm out here on a range, and he got all these shotgun shells and stuff, and he's picking up. And that's just George Foreman training. Yeah. You know, he stay in shape. I'd rather I'd rather work here than go out to a gym and sweat around a piece of scrap on and just leave a puddle of water on the ground, you know. Yeah. Here I can at least pick up and help the range and uh, make it more valuable for the next guy coming down the road instead of going to a gym and pushing around some scrap on. So that's the way I look at it. <laughs> You're just picking up ping pong balls. I'm just picking up ping pong balls, waiting to get in shape, you know. So. <laughs> do you, so do you have any more matches scheduled after this one? I do, but I don't even know if they're going to happen. So I'm okay. just kind of, I don't know when. I'm going to try to shoot the NRA World if they have it. Okay. And uh, that's really hard to say what's going to happen. That's yeah. what's kind of the, the bummer, you know. Yeah. You want to get excited, but you don't know how to train. It's <laughs> like, okay, the match is going to happen. Well, i got two days. 
do you miss the travel? I'm sure this year has been quite a bit less to travel for you. Yeah, uh, I do in some aspects and some I don't. You know, I'm getting to that point where, you know, retirement's looking good. Yeah. So <laughs> the more I sit around, the more I think about it. So, yeah. but uh, getting up and rolling is always fun. It keeps you, keeps the ball bearings going, you know, keep, yeah. them, keep them rolling. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I wish I did. I mean, it, it's weird to look back at SHOT Show, and that was yeah eight mm-hmm. months ago or whatever, and yep. things were totally normal there. And, you know, now I could never imagine something like that, a, you know, a trade show with that many people in Vegas. It's just yep. everything's changed in that aspect. Uh, but I, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. I, I truly, I mean, you know, when I called you the other day and Kay put you on the phone, I was didn't really even know what to say because it's still, <laughs> it's still humbling that uh, just to talk to you because uh, you've been such an influence on me and the, the rest of the shooting community. So uh, you taking the time to sit down and do this with me, it, it means the world. It really does. Well, I hope some other folks get something out of it, you know, and come out and play. Yeah, I think you've That's... inspired a lot of people, but you still, you're still inspiring more and more, especially with all these uh, – new gun owners i guess would be the best way yeah. i could describe it yep i hope they come check you out and, and learn a little bit from you that'll be good yeah. yep need more gun owners yeah always need more gun always owners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway until i see you next time uh thanks again i, I can't tell you how much uh, it means uh, but for everybody listening this is another episode of empty brass and i'm your host cj boxford